Hello, and welcome back to Moments with Moni. I'm so glad you're here, where we ponder life together from a biblical perspective. Yeah, I've had a good week. I hope you have as well. Mine started out with snuggles and cuddles and hugs from the grandchildren. Always nice to have them over. And we even have a little bit of sunshine today in North Idaho, which is a very nice thing. It even feels warmer today. Must be above freezing for the first time in a while. Okay, let's jump into the first of our topics today, and that is understanding. Do you understand what I mean? I remember when my sons were young, sometimes I'd have to take their face and look straight into their eye and help them to focus straight on me and ask them, do you understand me? I remember my mom doing it to me. We need to teach our children well. And of course, once we become adults, hopefully we have a bit of understanding. Of course, there are some things that I don't understand, like electricity, where and how it gets to the house, or how the car works. I don't understand that, how the gears work. And I do know I have to put gas in the tank just to make sure it runs. But beyond that, I don't know how it works. Of course, I'm not really interested in gaining more understanding of those two things. Uh, I can call a repairman for both of them. Of course, my husband's good at both of those. He could probably do it too. As much as I know about Electricity comes from Benjamin Franklin when he flew that kite, the story I read in high high school. However, I do ponder a different manual besides a car manual, and that's the instruction book on life, the Bible. The message this past Sunday at church was an encouragement to read your Bible And if you're reading it for the first time, read it with a relationship with God in mind because you're getting to know who God is and what his heart is like, what he thinks. And as we dig deeper into the Word of God, we see in many places where he encourages us to get understanding. What is understanding? The Hebrew word for it is bina, or it's pronounced that way, I think. Somebody correct me if you're Hebrew. But it means to separate mentally, to distinguish, to understand, attend, consider, be cunning, diligent, direct, and discern. Psalm 32.9 says, Don't be like a horse or mule without understanding. They must be held in check by a bit or a bridle in their mouth. Otherwise, they won't stay close. In several places, God tells us how to get understanding and that we get it through God's word, through his precepts, his laws, and his statutes. The unfolding of his word gives us light and imparts understanding to the simple. Proverbs is wisdom literature of the Bible, and it's full of wisdom. And yet, it states in Proverbs 4, 7, Wisdom is the principal thing, and with all your getting of wisdom, get understanding. And as I was reading my Bible and studying through the first chapter in Esther, 
I came across a few verses that I could use some clarity on. So I went to one of the commentaries that I usually read, and that was by John Gill. I don't know if you know anything about him, but he is one who worked very hard and gained a great understanding uh, of the Bible and life in a biblical perspective. He was an English pastor, a biblical scholar, a theologian. He preached in the same church that Charles Spurgeon preached but a hundred years earlier. Charles Spurgeon is another great author of a commentary that I really appreciate, and even he was impressed with John Gill, who was many years his senior. John Gill was born in 1697 in Kellering in the United Kingdom and died in London in 1771. At a very young age, 11 years old, he mastered Latin classics and was learning Greek. He also continued in self-study in subjects from logic to Hebrew. John Gill was a very prolific author. Uh, My focus for this podcast is on his exposition of the New Testament and the Old Testament. He wrote a Bible commentary. I will get back to John Gill's commentary in just a moment, but I wanted to introduce you to uh, the first chapter of Esther. My focus actually will be on Queen Vashti. I've always been interested in that part of the book. A lot has been taught on Esther And a lot has been assumed about Queen Vashti, so I don't want to go there either. But some of the historical facts are, well, her her name means beautiful. And historical records state that she is the supposed great-granddaughter of King Nebuchadnezzar II. She was the wife to King Azurus at the age of 14. As a Persian princess, most historians do not state that she was a a Jewish believer, uh, most likely not. In fact, Martin Luther thought, or his thoughts about Esther, he was quoted as saying, it has, the book has too much Judaism and a great deal of heathenism, a heathenistic imagination, and he tossed the book into the Elbe River. So he didn't think very highly of it. However, God did. So, Even though God's name isn't mentioned in the book of Esther, we can certainly see God's hand throughout the book. His providence is inside of this book, just like it is on my life and on yours. I was listening to Alistair Begg the other day, and he said that when God is apparently absent, he's not. Because when he is in the Bible, when he is mentioned in the Bible, he wants us to know he's there. So not being mentioned, he wants us to realize that even though his name isn't mentioned, he is still there. He's still in control. Providence again, which is a good thing. It was a reminder to me yesterday. Yeah, I think it was yesterday. I was shopping and in line in front of me at the grocery store, there was a grown man and his grandmother, and they were relating some difficulties of life. And I encouraged and conversed with them, but I didn't mention Jesus. I kicked myself later for not 
sharing the gospel with them, not getting my foot in the door to mention Jesus's name. But but God reminded me of the lady that spoke and encouraged me earlier in the day while I was shopping. And I thanked God for that gift of kindness from her. But she never mentioned Jesus. She just portrayed his character. That was such a blessing to me. And because I was studying Esther, it made me realize God's providence again. Even though his name is not mentioned in the book, he is there. He's in our lives. So I was going to read some of the chapter, the first chapter of Esther. Um, Now, in the days of Azurus, who in Greek, his name is Xerxes. So King Xerxes or Azurus, who reigned, this is the one who reigned from India to Ethiopia, over 127 provinces. In those days, when King Azurus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. The army of Persia and Media and the nobles and governors of the provinces were before him. While he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, it was a hundred and eighty days. And when these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa, the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were white cotton curtains and violet hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rods and marble pillars, and also couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement. Marble, mother of pearl and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels, vessels of different kinds, and the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. And drinking was according to this edict. There is no compulsion, for the king had given orders to all the staff of his palace to do as each man desired. Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to King Azurus. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Azurus to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command, delivered by the eunuchs. At this the king became enraged, and his anger burned within him. Then the king said to the wise men, who knew the times, for this was the king's procedure toward all who were versed in law and judgment, the men next to him being Karshina, Shitar, Adamantha, Tarshish, Marys, Marsena, and Memekin, the seven princes of Persia and Media, who saw the king's face and sat first in the kingdom. Verse 15 continues, According to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti, because she has not performed the command of King Azurus, delivered by the eunuchs? Then Memekin said in the presence of the king and the officials, Not only against the king has Queen Vashti done wrong, but also against all the officials and all the peoples who are in all the provinces of King Azurus. For the queen's behavior will be made known to all women, 
causing them to look at their own husbands with contempt. Since they will say King Asherus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she did not come. This very day, the noble women of Persia and Media, who have heard of the queen's behavior, will say the same to all the king's officials, and there will be contempt and wrath in plenty. If it please the king, let a royal order go out from him, and let him, let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, so that it may not be repealed, that Vashti is never again to come before King Asherus, and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So when the decree made by the king is proclaimed throughout all his kingdom, for it is vast, all women will give honor to their husbands, high and low alike. He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in its own script, and to every people in its own language, that every man may be master in his own household and speak according to the language of his people. It goes on to say in chapter 2, the very first verse, After these things, when the anger of King Asherus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been declared against her. Well now, culture sure has changed. I don't know if you noticed that. I know as an American woman, I sure have a few opinions about what I just read. But that's just it. They're just my opinions. So let's take a look at what God's Word says. The first phrase in this chapter says, Now it came to pass. You see that a lot of times in the Bible as you see impending doom on the way. I remember going through Ruth and just before they went into Moab, left the house of bread, now it came to pass was in that chapter as well. Um, Trouble is coming. It means trouble is coming. But trouble comes to pass. It doesn't come to stay. So even for our own lives, we can remember that there is hope. Our first historical figure mentioned in the book is King Asherus, or in Greek, his name is Xerxes. He was a Persian king mentioned in Ezra, in the book of Ezra, and he was the son of Darius. Herodotus refers to this as a time when King Xerxes had plans for the great invasion of Greece and all the military leaders and civil leaders around him partied for 180 days, six-month-long party. At the conclusion of that, there was a seven-day drinking festival, and that, at that time, is when the king ordered his eunuchs to go get his wife, and according to some historians, including Josephus, writes that the king ordered the eunuchs to bring his wife wearing nothing but her crown so that he can parade her in front of those that were at the party to impress them with her beauty. 
But to her credit, I believe, of course, my opinion here in this, to her credit, because I'm looking at the principles of the New Testament, she did not bow down to this. She did not obey her husband. And at this time in history, that is enough for dismissal. Beyond that, divorce. The king showed himself to be very boastful, prideful, drunk, and he also listened to the advice of those around him. And yet, later on, he had a change of heart, but it was too late. The decree to send Vashti away had already been recommended by the wise men, the astrologers around him, and he, as king, listened to them. For who wants to go home to women that will hold such contempt and wrath towards them? They didn't want to hear it when they got home. In the wisdom literature of Proverbs, we gain a little more understanding of what a king is supposed to be like. Um, It was Bathsheba who was writing to her son Solomon, as historians and commentators say in Proverbs 31, starting at verse 4, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, a nickname most likely for Solomon, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. You, you opened your mouth for the mute, for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. You open your mouth and judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Yes, as a believer, as a wife, I am to honor my husband and to give him respect as unto the Lord. If he asks me to rob a bank, I can't do that. That would be against God's word. Proverbs goes on to say that the heart of her husband trusts her and he will have no lack of gain, and she will do him good, not evil, all the days of her life. These scriptures give me an idea of how I would act in a situation that goes against his word, against the Bible. I have no idea what was going on in Queen Vashti's heart. She was, like I said earlier, a Persian princess, I don't believe, according to the history that I've read, she's, she wasn't a believer in God, in the God of the Hebrews. But in any case, I see the providence of God, his hand working through her. As for the king, it's written in history, so says Josephus. He had sent the eunuchs back another time to bring her into his presence, but she still refused. Which brings me back to the commentary of John Gill. And John Gill writes in his commentary on Esther that Queen Vashti refused to come before the king. One of the reasons he, he mentions, like Josephus, was that uh, she it might not have risen purely out of pride in her 
and contempt of him, but because she might conclude that he was drunk and not know well what he did. And therefore, had she come at his command, when he was himself and sober, he might blame her for coming, no use her ill for it, and especially if she was to come naked, as the Jews say, and besides, it was contrary to the law of the Persians, as not only Josephus, but other historians observe, which suffered not women to be seen in public, and particularly not, did not allow their wives to be with them at feasts, only their concubines and harlots, with whom they could behave with more indecency. As for their wives, they were kept out of sight at home." And therefore Vashti might think it an indignity to be treated as a harlot or a concubine. At the beginning of chapter 2 in Esther, we see that the king is no longer drunk and he is sad. He's grieved. He misses Vashti. He misses her beauty. He truly was, according to some historians, he was passionately in love with her and could not bear parting with her. But it was too late The king had spoken, and his word had to stand. Well, all those so-called wise men around him were now getting nervous and thought, we've got to do something before he gets angry and takes all that anger out on us. And so they set up a contest for a beautiful young virgin to be his next wife. And yet, in all of this, God's will comes about, just like in our lives when we don't choose to do the right thing. God still uses us. He is full of grace and love, and he sent us Jesus to give us a reason and a hope to continue on. Well, I just touched on the tip of the iceberg in this particular chapter, so read it for yourself. Dig in for yourself. As a servant of Jesus, as a steward of the mysteries of God, of his word, a follower, a disciple of Jesus. I am responsible for knowing what the Word of God says so that I cannot be deceived. But I also am reminded by his word in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, that because I don't have all the pieces of every story, just like we don't have all the, the story of Queen Vashti and her husband, we need to remember what this verse says. 1 Corinthians Chapter 4, verse 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Thanks so much for listening to Moments with Moni. 